Welcome to Introvert's Galaxy. In the last couple of years, I've discovered that there is an immense number of people who struggle with social anxiety, fear of public speaking, introversion. One of the issues I dealt with was that I thought I was alone. I didn't think that other people were feeling like this, so I thought I was a freak. And in this podcast, you will hear stories of people who have struggled with similar issues. What was that like for them? What did they do? How did they grow? Hopefully we can learn. Let's jump into it. Hey, I'm really excited about this episode today. I have a guest. Yes. His name is Trevor. He's the owner of Investor Carrot and the host of CarrotCast. He's a really good guy and I wanted to get him on the show. I wanted to hear his story. How does someone like him create the company and the success that he has created? How did he reach the level of mindset where he is now? And this is someone who struggled with some issues similar to you and I and has overcome adversity. So listen to his story. Take some notes. There's a lot of takeaway here. Enjoy. I need to warn you. I have a little get up set up here. <laughs> You're good. Good, man. Looks good. So here, no here we are. I love it. Hey, Trevor. I'm so happy that you're you're here, man. Really <laughs> I, I appreciate the invite, dude. I, I'm always hop on and connect, and I appreciate reaching out on Instagram too, man. It's always it's always fun. It's always fun interacting on there, big time. Well, I put my headset in. I need to tell you that I do get a little nervous, especially at the beginning. <laughs> don't worry about it. But it passes. The good thing is that I don't sweat anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Years ago, things like this will make me sweat. I was just, I was, oh, Trevor, I got to clean my face. Look, I, I've, I learned about you on Instagram. I don't remember anymore what it was, but I did want to tell you, hey, Trevor, the thing that caught my eye first was the carrot. Oh, really? <laughs> I thought, it works. It works. What is the carrot? I thought, what is this, a juicing company or yeah, is it right food? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, this, this weird carrot, there's something going on here. Uh-huh. I've got carrot pens. <laughs> also, I have carrot, my, my water bottle, orange, says carrot yeah. on it. I can just keep on going around this office, man. Everything's orange. Everything's and orange. I, I, I want to tell you, it's good because it's easy to remember. Mm-hmm. And then later on, I, I was seeing you some places on social media, but then later on, I think uh, someone went to your mastermind. Mm-hmm. Yep. something about that so i looked at it and i was like oh what is trevor about this sounds kind of interesting mm-hmm. so you're a page and, and then i saw that you have like a gym in your office at yep work. yep yeah we, we built a full gym right over right over there yeah i was like i gotta i gotta get to know this guy a little bit better. <laughs> come on who does that for their employees in america <laughs> this we- something it's fun, man. It's, it's, that's, that's the big part of it is I think a lot of people take, take business too seriously. And I think, I think you need to take some business seriously. I mean, you need to be fiscally responsible so, you're, so you can pay your bills and you're, you're financially free eventually. But um, it's like, I mean, you got you to take business lighthearted sometimes. Have some fun. I mean, when people, when people talk about Carrot and they ask the question, why do we name the company Carrot? And and we send thousands of dolls out a year. Like we just order another batch of 3,000 dolls to get shipped to our office. And we send thousands more out this next year. And it's like, it's fun, dude. And it connects with people. And I just don't want to do business unless it's fun. I can connect with people. 
of course, grow a good business, but also um, just just do it in a way where I want to keep doing it, you know, and, and where money isn't the reason to do it anymore. Well, I really love what you are doing there and the culture that you are creating. Whenever I thought that in the future, when I have a company and I have employees, what you're doing is kind of the stuff that I always imagine. Oh, man, I want my people to be happy. I, I want to treat them right cool. in that gym, man. That's, that's super cool. <laughs> Well, if you come out to Carrot Camp, man, that's, I think that's probably the event that you saw someone posting about was probably Carrot Camp. And um, yeah, we, whenever we do events like that, so we do Carrot Camp a couple times a year, um, our next one's in May. And um, we always try to go, well, we're, we're just going to give the people there the experience that we live every day. So we, we that's basically what we just do. So um, our trainer, our, our, our trainer, our personal trainer comes in Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday now. And so we're like, well, shoot, if he's going to be here anyway, we might as well invite all the care campers to work out. And so we do and um, do a lot of other fun things. And we head up the river. And um, one of the reasons we love living here is because the outdoors. So we get people outdoors by the river and hiking waterfalls, mountain biking. And we get some good business stuff done. It's fun. Wow. Nice. Look, um, but look, one thing that I'm really curious about is when I see someone like you and I admire you. What is it? Who is this guy and how did he get started? And I started listening to some of episodes on your podcast to learn more about you. And I'm, I'm impressed with the way you think. And Thank you. Grateful because I'm learning some stuff. Yesterday, I listened to an episode where you're talking about building relationships and networking with Kyle, your brother, right? Yep. 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 That was, I was like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta adjust a little bit how I'm doing this. And I was at an event last night. Huh. And I applied it and I, and, oh, hold on, two days ago or something. I yeah. applied it and I, it felt so good. You know, good. I could tell that the people I was talking to, it felt different. Mm -hmm. And when mm -hmm. I noticed that someone came with a business card to introduce themselves, I said, oh yeah, that does not feel very nice. Yeah. They don't even say anything. <laughs> Start with yeah. the business card and they don't talk much sometimes. Yep. I thought, yeah, yeah. Wow. This is it's so like better. It, I mean, we explained it on that podcast and, and I'm excited about the title of your podcast because believe it or not, I'm, I'm an introvert. I just have to be an extrovert to do, to do what I want to do and work. But then if you were to come up to me at an event or something like that, I'm not the dude who's out there like working the room, man. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll get up in front of the, I'll get up in front of the room and speak to tons of people. And I'm really comfortable on stage to do that now. I didn't used to be, I am now because I've had to work my way into that. But then you get me out of that environment and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the outgoing guy. Okay. I'm the guy who's probably going to like hang out much more comfortable being kind of in the back by myself or with one or two other people, um, which is interesting. And so my, my younger brother is the same way. And, and like you said, in that podcast episode, man, we're, we, we just kind of dug in and go, man, like how, how did a couple introverts do it and make it work in business when a lot of people say that you've got to be extrovert. Um, you have, to, you have to get out of your own skin a little bit and like, push past some of the things that you're not comfortable with and grow you do for sure. But like we said in there, the biggest thing is really looking at how do I add value to other people and not even trying to not, not trying to look at it like a transaction. That's, that's what the business card things with most people, they go up and meet someone they're looking to get some, something from that person other than just, I just want to hear your story. Like what, what's your story? And, and um, just really be present with the person that goes a lot farther. Wow, you know, I I was I was a little surprised. I actually did not know that you were you lean to to the introvert side. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. that's, that's really cool because that brings another thing that I like to listen to people like you who are introverted and you've been able to overcome a lot of that stuff yeah. to be able to do what you need to do to be successful. Yeah. Dude, here, here's a little, here, here's a little um, context to it too. So uh, I talked about it a little bit in one of my podcast episodes, but um, this, it's not like, I don't know, it's, it's weird. Like when, when I was growing up, I was a little bit ashamed of, of some things um, that I was born with and I'll, I'll explain. It's not a big deal. Then it was like, oh my gosh, it's a big deal. But now you look back and go, oh my gosh, I was so lucky compared to a lot of people. But um, I was born with, with a syndrome, it has this big old huge long name called clitocranial dysostosis. And it's, it's a skeletal syndrome. My, my, both my brothers are about six foot tall. My dad's six foot tall. I'm not, man, I'm, I'm five foot six. I'm, I'm not a tall guy. Uh -huh. And so um, that's part of it. And then the other part of it too was around 12 years old, I started to get these extra teeth that would kind of grow in and they were taking x-rays and going, man, like, what's the deal? There's all these extra teeth crowding into the gums. And, you know, around 11, 12, none of the, none of the dentists around here in small town, Oregon knew what it was. So they'd send me up to Eugene and none of them knew what it was. And so they sent me to Portland where they finally diagnosed it with that big old long name syndrome. And eventually over the next, over the next three years, I had two surgeries up in Seattle at the children's hospital where they, um, where they yanked out 30 something teeth. I mean, I'm talking like teeth were up in the gums, some that were there, wow. just mainly, mainly ones that weren't like, they weren't teeth. This syndrome just has an overgrowth of, of teeth up, up in there. It's weird. Wow. And so that was 12. And I think my next one was 14. And you can imagine when you're 14 years old, junior high, entering high school, and you have half of all of your front teeth gone and you're entering into high school and they've got braces. They're trying to like pull things down. You don't talk much, dude. No, um, you just don't. And so, uh, think, thankfully I, um, I mean, I, I was athletic, so I played sports and things like that. So high school wasn't, wasn't tough for me. I mean, luckily, I, I know some, some kids, you know, go through bullying, things like that. And I was just fortunate before I, I didn't, but, um, but all through high school, man, I just really didn't talk. I was always a quiet kid. Mm. You know? So, uh, once everything kind of kind of came in and uh, around around college and got the braces off, I think my junior year in college, around then I started to get a little bit more confidence in talking. And it was really that that next decade after that where I just finally looked at myself. I'm like, all right, you know, that's who that's who that's who I am, and that was my past. And your past doesn't define your future as much as people think it does. And um, and just moving forward, if I want to make this impact in the world, I got to get over myself and I got to get out there and, and really just be comfortable with talking to people and comfortable with talking about things I'm passionate about. And it's not easy or quick, dude. Like, um, you know, I've done hundreds of podcast episodes now, hundred plus webinars, but the very first five, 10, 15, 20 of those felt awkward, felt weird. Mm -hmm. I hated the sound of my voice. Everything mm -hmm. came out weird. I was nervous. Um, and as soon as you get over, the fact that people usually aren't there to judge you, the ones who do, you don't need them in your life anyway, you just cast them out. But the people that are, that people aren't there to judge you, they're usually there rooting for you. Mm -hmm. And I just latched onto that. I'm like, even if someone makes a bad comment, I don't care about that. I'm just going to really focus on the people who are rooting for me and I'm rooting for them. And, and I, I don't want to hold them back in life just because I'm holding myself back and I can't reach them with my message. That's a, you know, that's a, yes, that's so difficult. Uh, part to mm -hmm. to handle that the, the criticism and and to find out who's rooting for you because it's a lonely place the life yeah. of someone starting out 
<laughs> it is. So at the beginning, you don't even know if anybody's rooting for you. No, I think the only person you need rooting for you is yourself. I mean, and that's that's where I think most people go wrong is is they have so many insecurities in themselves that they stop themselves from moving past either getting going or let's say they do their first five or 10 podcast episodes and they get 12 people that listen to it and they go, um, this must not be very good. It's like, no, if you're doing a podcast, you'd lock in for a hundred episodes. Like if you're not locking in for a hundred episodes, um, then you're probably not going to be in it for the long game. Anyway, a hundred episodes really gets to where you find your voice, you find your role. And then eventually things start to pop because you found your voice. It's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I want to go back a little bit because that's yep. what I wanted to, uh, learn more about and mm-hmm. that was yeah that was powerful that story of you 14 finding out you have this this long name syndrome i can't remember what it was <laughs> cleidocranial dysostosis only you know right. how to say that that's right man yeah but then having your teeth so you were in high school with the front part of your mouth no teeth yeah i had two missing down below three or four missing up above braces that were trying to pull the teeth down from the gums but i mean essentially yeah i I was missing most of my front teeth all through high school as you can imagine that's not the coolest thing in the world high school (laughs) is tough already without having this issue i mean you know in high school i was trying to look good and trying not to look like an idiot and so concerned about how i look in school how did you handle that did you have it you know how was that Man, I, that's a good question. I, I think so. I, I have three kids right now, um, four, six, and eight, and and it's interesting because um, the, the syndrome, syndrome that I have, it's you, you pass it along. Like it's like a fifty-fifty coin flip. And two of my kids, my two oldest kids, have it, and they're like amazing. They're the the best kids ever, but they're also going to have some of the same issues. And as as I've been learning, just raising them at the age that they're at, and they haven't started, they they haven't like experienced those issues yet. They don't pop up until you're probably ten or twelve. And um, I've realized that the most important things that I can teach my kids, one of the most important things I can teach my kids as a father is confidence. Like, how, how do you teach self confidence to your kids? And looking back on how I kind of waded through that that process is is my parents just instilled a lot of confidence in me. Um, I, I don't remember specific things that that they, that they had done. But I, I know, um, I never really had a, I, I, I had some kind of some chinks in my armor, so to say with confidence, especially with, I think anyone would, if you're missing teeth like that. But, um, I always had this base of confidence that was just there because of, of what my, how my parents had raised me. Um, my, my father was always the kind of guy who he coached you well, but he was never really hard on you. You know, he, uh, we played athletics and he played professional baseball. And I remember, him, him coaching us, he played for the A's and the Mariners back in the day. And I remember him coaching us and he was never the guy who would yell out things during a game and try to criticize the way you were doing something at 11 years old or 12 years old, you missed a grounder. It was always something he'd pull you to the side after the game and say, Hey, you know, uh, why do you think you missed that ball? What do you need to do differently next time? So there's a lot of those kinds of things just growing up that, um, that I never thought of at the time, but looking back now, I'm like, man, my parents did the right thing. They, they instilled confidence in me. Um, even when I was flawed, even when I made mistakes, uh, they didn't make me feel like there was something wrong with me. They saw that there was something wrong, wrong in the way that I did something and there's a way to correct it for next time. So mm-hmm. I think that was the biggest thing is during those years, I knew they'd be temporary. I, I knew that that wasn't going to be me forever. And um, I had the confidence just from what my parents had taught me in athletics too, to know that, okay, if I can just stick through this, I'll be good. And um, 
and the years go by pretty quick. Oh, okay, okay. Thank you, mom and dad. They, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously. Well, yeah. That um, sometimes this happens too, where I don't know what to say. That's... I have I have a lot of stuff I know what to say. <laughs> You're good, man. I love it. Hey, Trevor, this is really good, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, man. I admire I you even know more. It's, it's weird because we think that the stuff that we are ashamed about, revealing to the world because we, we hide it. We hide it. I mean, I've had so many things that I didn't want anybody to know, you know. Yeah. And I was ashamed about but this stuff of vulnerability. I actually admire you more now after mm -hmm. learning more about your, you know, your, your background, your story. Well, thanks, man. And that's, and that's something important there too. I mean, as, as I've grown, like I said, I don't think I even shared that story until probably four or five years ago. Um, and it's weird because looking back now, I go, man, like why, why, why did I think that that was something that, you know, that was a negative against me? Why did I think that hiding this flaw in me that I couldn't change, I was born with it. Um, and, and like, so now I look back, I'm like, I'm extremely lucky because it could have been something worse. And uh, comparative to a lot of other things, man, I'd take this any day, uh, any day of the year compared to a lot of other things. And, um, and it's like, man, you know, it's, it's, it's just really hard where we, where we get down on ourselves. We, we compare ourselves to others and we, but we always compare ourselves to others, best features, right? So, um, you always compare yourself against this other person, the way that they look or how successful they seem like they are. But what we usually don't see is the flaws that they have that you don't want. Like you don't see that that person who's really successful, their marriage is wrecked because, because they're never present with their wife or they're never, they're, they're never home. You don't see that that person who, you know, who is a, a supermodel that maybe they're just crushed inside because they, they themselves have worse confidence than you do. You know, you just never know that stuff. And that's one of the biggest things that, that I would love to instill within my kids is, is you can never compare yourself against others. You can only compare yourself against your version of, against you, who you were yesterday. It's like, am I a better person today than I was yesterday? And that's the only person you should compare yourself against. And it's always a losing battle, man. As soon as we start comparing ourselves against other people, there's always someone that's going to be better than you at something. Almost, unless you're like a Guinness Book of World Records holder in something, maybe not. Maybe you're the best in the world at that thing. That's cool. Mm -hmm. But if you're not, there's probably going to be someone who's better than you at something, has more money, that's better looking, that's faster running, that's whatever, you know? Yeah. But what, what, we, what we can do and what we can win is looking at, are we a better version of ourselves today than we, when we were, were yesterday? And that's, that's the game we should all be playing. That's so powerful. Yeah. It, it, it takes work. It takes work. It's hard when you start getting into this stuff and you see what everybody's doing. And it's, yeah, it gets, especially because many of the things you see on social media, and I mean, we, we all do, most of us do social media. Yep. And we see the highlights. We see, we don't see the struggle when these people started the beginning or the times when you're doing good, but something bad happens. So you, you only see highlights with most, most, most of the stuff out there. And then you start yeah. thinking, God, I'm the only one who has an argument with uh, my wife. I'm the only one who screams at my kids. Yeah. I must suck, but it's not like that. Mm -mm. No, it, it's everyone. It's, it's funny you mentioned that we connected on Instagram. And of course, it's just, it's just easier to share the cool stuff, right? <laughs> it just is. Um, and oftentimes, I don't think to share the, the crappy stuff. But 
uh, you know, we, we're in an amazing spot in Carrot right now, but it's really like, it's a really, really hard spot in this company too. It's, it's hard, but it's my favorite spot that I've, I've had in Carrot. It's mainly hard because I'm having to grow so much right now as a leader, um, like really pushing myself past anything that I had ever been as a leader and, and finding ways that I've been doing things wrong in the last few years. So um, it, it is a freaking amazing company, man. And I'm so grateful to be working for this company um, with you know, dozens of other employees that we have now. And, uh, but it's also really, really hard. So that's something that I want to be accountable to sharing more of that stuff on Instagram to, to be sharing more of the stuff that I'm struggling through with, uh, growing this company, sharing the wins, uh, also, but, but sharing some of those struggles, you know, cause it's, uh, it doesn't matter if you're, if you love unicorns and your job is being a unicorn rider, like you're going to have days when you don't like to go to work, <laughs> you know, you're gonna have days when you're like, I don't want to jump on that darn unicorn again. Ah, um, What's it doesn't wrong matter. With the unicorn. Yeah, it's like it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you're doing. There's always going to be days or things that you do in that work where it's like I don't like this, and so um, people need to give themselves a pass and realize that that entrepreneurship is amazing, but it's, it's hard work. Um, it can be freaking amazing lifestyle, but also know that there's the pros and the cons go with it. You know, I was uh, um, I'm reading this book called Finding Your Why by Simon Sinek. Sinek? Yep, that's yeah, that's a good book. Yeah, and it's just impacting me in a in a big way. And now, when I look at some companies like you and what you're doing, I think, oh, finding your why. It's mm -hmm. like uh, Trevor, you know, Trevor's thinking about like this. He because yeah. the what you're building is different. It's this mm -hmm. is not the the normal. What you the way what I've seen so far. What you're doing with your employees, the way that you're, you're creating culture in your company. I mean, what, 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 I'm going to borrow something that you said in your podcast. Yep. <laughs> what fires you up? Why, you know, what fires you up as, as a business owner? Why did you create or think this is how I want to do this or not? Just let me just, it's about the numbers, just the numbers. Mm -hmm. about the employees? What's going on? Yeah, dude. So uh, awesome question. So back in, so 2008, I started my first online company um, and it went, it went pretty darn good. I had a great business partner and I got burnt out in a big way, 2010, 11, 12. Um, the, the work that I was doing, I just wasn't fired up about the work. Um, I was good at it. I was getting paid really well for the work I was doing. And, and that's kind of with, with um, the, the normal way that people say uh, that your unique ability is, is, because basically things you're really good at and you get paid well for it. And that's what I was believing that, Hey, I must be, this must be my unique ability. I need to do more of cause I'm, I'm good at it and I get paid well for it. What did you do? What was that? Um, so it was an online publishing company and I also had a consulting, uh, a small, small consulting agency. We'd take like three, four, five, six clients at a, at a time, but we we're basically doing the same thing that we do for care clients. We're helping people grow traffic online, um, really manage your reputations online. And um, with the publishing company, it was in the real estate space where I would partner with some real estate investors who were doing really well and we would create trainings and what they were doing really good. One of them was around private money. And so my work in that was coming up with all the marketing. I ran the business. I wrote the email copy. I wrote all that kind of stuff. My business partner was the expert in that and um, had a great business, but I just wasn't fired up about it. And so that around that 2011-12, I found myself doing a bunch of different things. So I, was, I realized looking back now that I, I was looking to find something I was passionate about. So I invested in two software companies. I started this other business, started this other business. 
and uh, thinking that I would find one of those things that would finally light me up and, and, and just really unleash me to the world, you know, with my passion. And I didn't find it. And so this is how I really grew Carrot with intentionality was in 2012, I had um, my brother's best friend from high school. Uh, he passed away. He was in his early 30s, three kids. Uh, he was in his backyard on like a Sunday. His name is Nick. And um, uh, him and his wife were talking about retirement and uh that that day and what they didn't know is he, he wasn't going to make it to dinner that night get a brain aneurysm in his backyard and passed away and wow. so around that time i had had um my first kid second kid on the way and you start to think about like why am i doing why am i doing what i'm doing you know and and time goes by pretty quick but i also have a lot of time to do some amazing things and what i'm doing right now just isn't it it's not hitting me at my core to where I wake up every day pumped and fired up that I'm going to be able to reach people and change their lives. And, and it, and, and it pumps me up. So um, I'd read a book called the pumpkin plan and it's a simple concept, but it's basically uh, I've sent this book to hundreds of people over the years. It's basically uh, a pumpkin farmer who grew, who grew these massive, huge you know, world champion pumpkins. Um, this guy asked him, how do you grow those pumpkins? Like what is the method that make, that helps you do that? And the pumpkin farmer broke down his method for growing big pumpkins. You got to start with a, a, a really good seed. It can't just get any pumpkin seed. It's got to be a pumpkin seed that's for the giant pumpkins, right? So you plant that seed. And then um, you've got to water it and water it, of course. And, and then it starts growing. But he said, this is the key. He said that pumpkin, um, what do you call it, a sprout or a shoot or a vine or a pumpkin vine? The pumpkin vine is going to start growing. There's going to be all these little pumpkins popping off of it and leaves on it. And he said, what you do is you look over the pumpkin vine, there's probably 10 or 15 pumpkins on it. And there's probably three or four that are looking like they have more potential for getting bigger. He goes, what, what, what I do then is I trim off everything else. I trim off all the other pumpkins and all the other leaves and just leave those four. And then you keep watering it. And he said, eventually you see probably two that are getting bigger than the other, bigger than the others. Cool. I hack off the other two. Hack off anything else that's growing in the vine except for those two pumpkins. And he said, eventually you see one pumpkin that's, that, 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 out of the two that's definitely going to get bigger. Because then you hack off that last one and ruthlessly cut off anything else on that vine that grows. Um, and then you water the heck out of it. And he said, he said, what happens is if you keep too many pumpkins on that vine and you're watering it, that, big, that pumpkin's not going to get as big because there's too many other things taking the nutrients out of the big pumpkin. And he said that last week, you can almost see the pumpkin growing. He's like, you can almost see the pumpkin growing. You're ruthlessly cutting all the extra leaves, all the other, all the other pumpkin vines off. And he said, uh, then it grows a giant pumpkin, but then they related it to business and us as entrepreneurs, even not, even if we're not an entrepreneur, let's say we have a job somewhere. Uh, we oftentimes have too many things on our vine and we can't really feed the thing that's the most important, the thing that could be the biggest or the thing that could uh, fuel you the most because you have, you have your, your resources spread everywhere. You're, you have your brain, your thought, your thoughts spread everywhere. You have your, your time, your money spread everywhere. And so in that time, I'm like, man, I need a pumpkin plant. I need, I need to trim this vine. And, I got rid of all my companies except for my real estate and my consulting company, which only had one client at that time. I sold my share in my publishing company to my business partner. Sounds fancy. It wasn't. I told him, I'm like, man, I love you. And we're going to be friends after this. You just tell me the price. I'm not going to negotiate. I'll say yes. Uh, he offered a way lower price than I was expecting, but I said yes. And um, I'm like, I just want to buy my, I just want to buy my time back. Mm -hmm. And uh, he even, he even offered, to pay payments over five years. I'm like, none of that would have been, I'm like, yes, I just don't want to negotiate. I just want to be able to switch and now change my focus to something else. Mm -hmm. And so, um, then I, then I appealed back and, and, um, 
and I wrote down five non-negotiables. So I sat there and I said, okay, what are the things that I had learned just in this past four or five years uh, in my first couple entrepreneurial endeavors? What have I learned that I just, I realized for sure I don't want to have replicate in any business I ever create in the future. Um, and then what are the non-negotiables that 100% for sure any business I create in the future have to follow these five, otherwise I won't start the business. Or if I've started it and, it and then it encroaches on one of those five, I'll either sell it or make sure I change, I change the things that are, that are going against those non-negotiables immediately. And one of them was have fun. I wanted to have fun in business. Uh, my previous business, I didn't have enough fun. So I'm like, business should be fun. So I'm just going to build a business to make it fun. I don't care what business it is. It could be software and we're going to build a bunch of dolls. Like, I don't care. All right. We're going to have fun. Um, the next one was, it's got to be, um, oh man, I'm blanking out on them. I've got them here on my computer, but uh, oh, the cool. next, yeah, the, I've got a whole podcast on this episode, but I've got four of the non-negotiables in there. And one of them was um, focus on my unique abilities and, and do something that hits me at my core. Like when I wake up every day and I'm talking about it, like this message here, dude, this is part of my, this is part of what I love. This is part mm -hmm. of my passion. That's why I show up and do podcasts like this. I love it. Um, so anyway, awesome, awesome stuff there. And then I just sat down and wrote those five non-negotiables and I said, okay, I'm going to give myself a year to, to test it out and see if I can start a business idea that gets some traction this year. Um, if it does, I'll do it another year. If it does, I'll do it another year. I, I'd always taken it one year at a time, the first two years of Parrot, uh, just to not commit myself. I'm like, if I can be the best at this, I'll do it again another year. Mm -hmm. And uh, along the way, I kept on looking at my non-negotiables. I'm like, um, if I can get to 30 grand a month and, and in the business and maybe I can bring home 10K a month, I'll be fine as long as we have fun. Um, mm -hmm. We're far beyond that now. And we'll do about $6 million in revenue this year team of 25 people, but we've grown because we chose to follow our core values, deliver an amazing product and build a culture that inspires people along the way. That's why we've grown. It's not because, because we're the best marketers in the world. Okay. And so it, it wasn't, it's not an accident. You, what you're creating and you are, you're very intentional. I was this time. I wasn't the first two times in my business. So I was intentional after realizing what I didn't want. Mm -hmm. yeah. You had it you know, your, what happened with your brother and made you think. So you mm -hmm. were thinking, you started thinking and, and, and looking for what you're passionate about mm -hmm. and you're, you're, you are intentional. So this is not an accident. This is very interesting listening to you, you know, because we, I don't usually get to hear these stories mm. and it's very, to me, I'm very curious. I like to, when I, when I, for you, in your case, I, I, I admire you. I admire what you're doing. And I'm very curious. I start to get curious. So who is this person? How did they get yeah. learning this? I'm putting the pieces together and, and it's, it's pretty cool. Thanks Sweet, man. All this stuff. Oh, for sure, dude. Let, let me, passion side of things, that's something that a lot of people put pressure on themselves to, to do something that they're passionate about or build a business around their passion. I think that's common advice that a lot of us hear. And um, it's not bad advice. I, I, I think it would be amazing if everyone could build a business around their passion. The problem is um, most people can't or it's extremely hard to do so. So I think it's really dangerous when we hear advice to say, hey, you must build a business around your passion. That's how you'll truly be happy. And I remember um, you've heard of Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I listened to his stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, uh, this was 2008 in Orlando, Florida. I was at an event first first event that I'd ever been to for anything. And, um, and it's so funny, man, because, uh, do you have a few more minutes? I don't want to go over time on your end. 
Oh, I was. I, no, no, no. I'm good. I was okay, cool. going to ask you if you're good if we went a I'm, little over. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm good for sure. So I was, I was in Orlando, and like I said, I was just starting my kind of uh, first company out, outside of my my small company that owns some rental properties, and um, I really didn't have a, a whole heck of a lot of income coming in. I was still trying to kind of figure some things out, and I remember seeing this this event being marketed online. It's called New Beginnings. It was a it was an event for um, internet marketing, and it had like at that time, kind of all the, kind of the, the original cadre of internet marketing guys that were going to be speakers there, like your Frank Kearns and Jeff Walker and um, Jay Abraham was there. And just a bunch of really, really smart, awesome guys. And, um, and so I didn't have the money to pay for this event. It was a week-long event. You could buy it in three days. You could do five days. You could have the extra two days with just Jay Abraham, who's, I mean, one of the, one of the, one of the epics in the marketing world. And then this guy named Rich Sheffern who put the event on. And um, I really wanted to go. And then I saw this opportunity to potentially win a ticket. And so they put out a blog post about it. I missed the first round. And I'm like, oh, bummer. I missed it. I'm not going to get a chance to do it. And then they put out another round. They said, hey, we're going to give away one more ticket for free for the whole event. And it's like a $9,000 ticket. I just have to pay my way to get there. $9,000 ticket? Yeah, it was great. It was a week-long event. It was 9000 bucks. And, um, of course, I didn't have the money to pay for that. And so uh, – what I did was I, I looked at the contest. They just basically said, write in this, write a comment down here why you deserve this ticket. That was basically it. And so I researched the other winners from the previous couple rounds. Like, what did they write about? And da da da. Deconstructed that. I went back and wrote something of mine from the heart, following what they were looking for, the other winners. And I get got an email, um, you know, a week or two later, and uh, I almost spammed it. Cause, like the way that it was written, and I didn't. It was just weird. And it basically said a couple lines. It's like, you've been chosen to win. Um, you know, email me back and we'll get your, your ticket you know, information to you. I'm like, what? Wow. And so I talked to my wife. I'm like, I think I win this ticket to this thing in Orlando in a couple months. Oh, my <laughs> God. Is it cool if I go to this thing? She's like, of course. So I went. It was the first time I'd ever traveled by myself uh, out of state. And I landed there. Didn't have a hotel book because I couldn't afford the, the Disney hotel, like 350 bucks a night where this was held. It was in yeah. Disney World. And um, I just landed there. I'm like, I'll just figure it out and I'll see if I can meet some people. That event changed my life, man. Number one, um, I had met so many people at that event that I, ne- I now count as still really good friends. And one of them is a business partner, not in Carrot, but another company that I'm a uh, part owner of. is another software company. Um, he lives in Delray Beach, Florida today. And uh, just an amazing oh. dude. And so that event created some amazing friendships. Uh, one of the guys who spoke there was Gary Vaynerchuk. It was his very, very first ever paid speaking gig. Really? First page gig ever. And it was before his first book came out, uh, Crush It. And uh, after he spoke, he was the last one to speak that day. He sat there with as many of us that wanted to hang out. And there were four or five of us. And we were there for a couple hours after he spoke, just talking. And it was both the, it was both the most empowering, but also, uh, also um, I don't want to use the wrong word here, but it was both the most empowering combo. But it was also looking back, um, a combo that, that I feel got misguided me a little bit um and i'll tell you guys why so one thing that that he said in that in that talk is he said man if you love purple beanie babies and that's what you want to go all in on selling purple beanie babies and you live in your mom's basement he's like start a blog and become the purple beanie baby expert and you can do it and you can make money on your passion that's true you totally can i don't want to discount it but um at that time i had started my my online publishing companies making a few grand a month with the online stuff had some real estate but 
uh, all my wealth in real estate's and equity. Like my rental income just went into reserves to pay for roofs and stuff like that. You know, not getting rich off of it um, yet. But uh, um, I sat there, I'm like, man, I love golf. And I always wanted to start like a golf travel blog. And so talking to Gary, I'm like, I'm leaving here and I'm starting a golf travel blog. I'm going to start traveling, golfing and writing about it. And that's going to be my thing. So I'm passionate about that. That's what I need to be doing. I should not be doing this other thing because I'm not passionate about this online marketing stuff that I was doing. And so I kind of had a half-assed effort of, of, of really implementing anything. But here's, here's where I'm kind of getting to the crux of it. Is over the next two to three years, um, I had really beat myself up over the fact that I wasn't running a business that was my passion. I wasn't running a business that was me out going golfing all the time or writing about purple beanie babies or whatever it is that your passion is. And so that was during that time when I was starting to get burnt out, but also really like, oh, what's my purpose? Like, why the heck am I here? And what I learned around the 2012 to, through 2013 time period, when I had trimmed things down, I opened up my, my mind, I decluttered. I went even and decluttered my house, started folding all my clothes that I'd never folded my whole life. All my shirt drawers are perfectly folded now and they have been for the last eight years. Um, I just finally like decluttered everything in my life that was making, that was taking up space in my mind. Um, and then I sat there, you know, in 2013, um, started 2013, kind of more fresh minded. I went, okay, maybe you don't have to build a business. That's your passion. Maybe you can build a business that fuels your passion. And so then that's when the care idea came up. It came out of something I was already doing on the side, but it was more of a pain in the butt than anything, um, with my consulting company. And I had a couple dozen websites out there that some real estate investors had had me set up and they were sitting on my little hosting account and they were just a pain in the butt. Uh, Cause they were paying me 10 bucks a month for hosting worst business model ever. Mm. And I sat and, and I sat and looked at that and I saw a greater opportunity. I'm like, man, this isn't a real estate issue. This is a small business issue all across America. You know, millions of small businesses had set up websites from Wix, Weebly, Squarespace, GoDaddy, WordPress that just to get online. So that was a call to arms the previous decade was just get online. If you can get online free, easy, simple, cheap, that's all you got to do. Once everyone became on, came online, uh, they realized, man, I'm not getting results. Like people aren't landing on my website. When they do, they're not converting into a lead because everyone's online now. There's no advantage, inherent advantage just to be online. And so the consulting that I was doing on the side was, was helping people, some local businesses to get traffic and convert the traffic into leads. So I was really good at getting traffic and leads. I was really good at it. And I, and I had this epiphany as I was getting ready to chop off those dozens of websites from real estate investors that were paying me uh, my $9 a month to have this hosting account for a website that converted well. Um, I was getting ready to send them an email and say, hey, um, you're going to have to move this to another hosting account. I'll give you all your files and I'm sorry, but it's just not something I'm doing anymore. And I'm like, you know what? This might be a business I can be really good at. Um, there's a big opportunity. I know real estate really well. I can dive into that and solve that problem there first. And then I can go into other industries if I want to. And I said, you know what? Those five non-negotiables were there. I said, I can build this business, even though I'm not passionate about real estate. I'm not passionate about software. They're both great tools. They're really good tools. I'm not passionate about either. Um, I can build a business that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. Doing things I'm not passionate about. Which at that time, like exploded my mind. I'm going, okay, so I can, can I use my business to fuel my passion? It doesn't have to be it. So that's what Carrot does, man. I mean, that, that's why you see us doing wacky things. That's, why, you, that's mm -hmm. why I hop on podcasts like this and talk about things like this. If I can reach one person and it starts to change the way that they look at their life and it starts to unlock them to where they can make a bigger impact, that's why I do what I do, man. Um, mm -hmm. 
and we have software and, and it's in real estate because that's my vehicle. That's my vehicle to connect with you. If I didn't have amazing software um, that solved the problem and I'm competitive, so I'm like, if we're going to do it, might as well be the best in the world at it. And, and so we're like, okay, we're going to build it and be the best in the world at it. And we're not going to stop until we are. And we're going to keep on making sure that we are. Um, but I literally do it, man, just so we can get people into our sphere. And so I can deliver a completely different message to them, <laughs> which is this message right here. Trevor, you, uh, you experimented with a few different businesses. And mm -hmm. when you started out at the beginning, were you, did you have, you, you, because you, you told me earlier, you, you're in, you lean to the, to introvert. Yep. Was that, what was that like going into business? Were you afraid? Oh, am I going to be good at this? Or what if I suck at this? Or am I going to be able to manage it? Did you have any of those fears starting out? Not, not really, man. I, um, here, here's one thing. I did a podcast episode on this and uh, pretty early on, you kind of after that, those years when I was, I was finally getting some confidence back and, and starting to like speak some more in college once my teeth all came in or whatever. Um, I, uh, I finally like had realized I'm like, you know, I'm not going to hold myself back anymore. Why am I holding myself back? And, and I came down to the fact that I was just kind of, I was afraid, like I, I was afraid of what could happen if I would do that thing. You know, what I, I was afraid of the risk of what would happen if I do the thing. And so, uh, what I ended up doing was I just found a new way to think about risk. I, I, I did what I call flipped my risk profile. And so while most people, they look at risk in this way, they look at risk as in, if I do the thing, what might happen? So if I quit my job and go, go into being an entrepreneur, what might happen? If I do this, what might happen? And what happens when you think that way is that it stops you. It puts up this barrier from you to actually do the thing because your only option is either I do it and here's these fears I've got popping up or I don't do it. And I just, I, I, I still get what, what I'm currently living and that may not be that bad for some people. And so I'm like, well, I need to flip my risk profile and, and to make not taking action more scary than taking the action. And anytime you can make not taking action more scary than taking the action, you start to move quicker. You start to, you start to completely forget about any fears or insecurities you have in that. And so here's what I mean there. Um, if you're looking at making a decision, leaving your, your job to go full-time as an entrepreneur, whatever it is, um, look at the, look at what could happen if you take it like, but look at the worst case scenario. Okay. If I leave my job, what's the worst case scenario? Well, I leave my job and it doesn't work out well maybe I've only got three months of money in the bank so I'm gonna have to start paying on my credit cards everything on my credit cards and then I might actually um, default on my rent or my house and then it's gonna take them a little bit of time to kick me out of there so if it's a house I might get to live there free for like five or six months maybe and then if if it's an apartment maybe a month or two and then I might have, I'm gonna go figure out somewhere to live I mean for me at that time up in Portland I'm like I, it would suck to do so. I just got married, but we could go live with my parents again, like worst case scenario, you know, worst case. And that's not that bad. That's for sure. And um, so the worst case scenario wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And I think usually the worst case scenario isn't as bad as what people think it is. And then you need to look at the other side of it. You go, okay, acknowledge the worst case scenario. And then, and then look at the other side and go, okay, what's 100% guaranteed to happen? What's 100% guaranteed to happen if I don't take action on this? What will my life 100% be like in a year, in two years, in five years, if I don't take this leap of faith and take action on this? So for me at that time, it was if I don't get over these insecurities and start to do this thing and I just go get a job, 100% guaranteed I'm going to be trapped in a situation I don't want to be in. 
I'd much rather take the odds on the other side where, where it's actually a pretty good likelihood that I'm not going to hit the worst case scenario if I, if I don't go get a job and I start to try to be an entrepreneur. The worst case scenario is very unlikely. Okay. The other scenario, you're 100% going to, that one's 100% going to happen if you don't take action. So flip that risk profile around, man. And that's the biggest thing is like, you just got to look at both sides of it and then just decide which one's more scary to you. If you're freaked out about the potential of the worst case scenario, that might scare you from taking action. But if you're more freaked out about what your life is going to be like in five, 10, 20 years, because you didn't take action, that's going to move you to action pretty quick. You know, that that's uh, something that I, I've had to sit down and had those, uh, I, I've had to uh, do those uncomfortable conversations with myself. Mm -hmm. Some of us think about this stuff and this yep. is not, what we're talking about here is not for everyone. If yep. you're happy, you're doing what you're doing, you're doing a nine to five and you're happy. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not trying to uh, say that that's wrong. No, no. But some of us think like this. Yep. I think like this. I have this stuff in my mind. I'm always thinking about this stuff and I want to yep. act on it. And 100%. One of the things that I started to think about is some of this is it my ego. Mm -hmm. Is my ego talking or is it something else? Is this my passion or do I want to show people something? Uh, Because yeah. I, sometimes I, I thought, oh, well, what if I fail? And then my previous employers and people I worked with see that I, I he sucked. My yeah. family see I fail and then, oh, you suck. And mm -hmm. I, I thought, okay, so who are you doing this for? Why? And what is really your why? Why are you so concerned with other people think? So I've been yep. thinking like this recently and, and, and stopping that. Yep. You have to, man. Get to your passion. I cannot be thinking about what other people think. Yeah. You to yeah. down to my, you know. You have to get rid of it. And you also have to realize, too, that, I mean, in, in this scenario that, ah, in, in this scenario that, that the way that you think, it, it's different than, than others. And, and like you said, it's not that it's better. It's just that's the choice that, that you and I are taking to, to be an entrepreneur. And um, here's an example. During that phase when I was just getting going on my stuff, um, my high school or yeah, my high school and college friends, uh, they, they graduated school and they got really good jobs out of school. Um, you know, some of them got 60, $70,000 a year jobs out of school. Um, I graduated, we graduated from a school in Oregon called Oregon Institute of Technology. And it's got the highest, the highest starting salaries in the state of Oregon because it's more of a tech school. Right. And so you, you get out of school and you, they put you right into work. I went through the business program <laughs> in which, You know, you're not starting with high salaries on a business program because uh, you're not, you don't have this certification in the medical field or something like that. And so while they were bringing the average starting salary up, I was bringing it way down. I made like 16 grand, my 16, $16,000 my first year out of college. Wow. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it does big time, man. And I, I paid, I paid for my taxes on my credit card that year because um, I took that risk. And while they were all going out there doing the guaranteed thing, I said, well, Worst case scenario, I'm going to take a year and I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to figure out this entrepreneur thing. If I don't, worst case scenario, I go find a job. Okay, that doesn't sound like a bad scenario to me. And so I did. I paid my tax on my credit card. It was really hard to figure the entrepreneur thing out. I had some glimmers of hope, which made me do it for another year. And then year two, things started to kind of catch. I'm like, okay, I'm learning how to market now. And I'm starting to figure some of this stuff out. But every single time I'd come back and visit my friends or I'd be at my friend's parents' house during Christmas time or whatever, Uh, there was always a running joke for about two and a half, three years <laughs> with me. Uh, you know, everyone else had, had their nice jobs and they had their cars and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it was always like, hey, what are you up to, Trevor? <laughs> and, um, and I would try to explain what I was doing, but I didn't even know what I was doing. You know, yeah. so like, 
I was trying to explain to them what I was doing. And so I kind of gave up because they all, they all make little jabs. I never took them personally. I, we, we could laugh about it, but um, eventually I just told them all, I stopped trying to tell them what I was doing. Yeah. I was conf- I, in my mind, dude, it wasn't a matter of if it was going to happen. In my mind, it was only a matter of when. The only mm-hmm. variable in my mind was when this was finally going to work. And when, when you can have that mindset of it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I was confident in that because I'd seen other people just like me do it. So therefore, I knew it was possible. The only variable of me not making it work was me giving up. And I wasn't going to give up. So like in my mind, I was like, I know it can happen. I know it's possible because a lot of other people just like me have done it. Therefore, I just need to find the path to do it. The only variable is how long is it going to take? That was it. And so whenever I'd be at my friend's parents' house and they'd ask, I'd say, I'd always say, I have a plan. That was was a running joke for about two years. It was like, hey, Trevor, what's your plan? I'm like, I've got a plan. You guys will see eventually. (laughs) And and then about two or three years ago, one of my friends, she uh, hit me up on Facebook after we had posted some sort of a a milestone thing. I think it was one of our fastest growing company awards that we had posted. And, and, uh, and we, we still see each other probably once or twice a year, but she put a message in and she's like, I guess you did have a plan. <laughs> and so, I mean that, that right there, you do want to prove people wrong. I think, I think there is ego there. Right. Um, and, and sometimes that's could be healthy a little bit and sometimes it's not, but I think as long as you're doing it because of you and the impact you want to make, and you're doing it with the confidence level that you know 100% it's going to work because you've seen other people like you do it, the only variable for you is when. When is it going to pop? Then you're not going to give up when that's, when that's the case. Yeah, I, I, I totally, totally, I love that, yes. And that's when I see challenges, you know, that's how I think about it. Well, mm. this challenge either breaks me physically completely and I'm under the yep. earth, or I, I, it's not going to stop me unless it does that because yep. I'm keep going. It's mm-hmm. a matter, like you said, a variable, uh, a matter of time. When, yep. when is it going to happen? Because I am not stopping. Yep. And I've experimented with a couple of things. And with real estate, there's so many different things that you can do that at the beginning, you see so many shiny objects and that's happened to me. And yep. I'm focusing so I can uh, focus on what I'm learning is what I'm really enjoying, what I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Real estate. Yep. So I, I know that we've been doing this for a little while and I want to be respectful of, you, respectful of your time. So let me check real quick. This doesn't tell me how long we've been recording, but I, I want to wrap it up. I want to go into um, something I wanted to talk to you about. Ikigai? You, Ikigai? Yep. Did I you say that? Yep, Ikigai, yeah. I saw that post that you put on Instagram, really liked it, man. It, it just brought everything together. Yep. All these different influences that I've had recently in my life, and it brought it all together. Can you say what does that mean to you? How did that impact you? 100%. So if anyone's curious, um, I'm, I'm pulling up my browser here right now, but uh, how you spell it is I-K-I-G-A-I. So I-K-I-G-A-I. It's a Japanese. Um, it's a Japanese concept that goes centuries back, and it's it's really um, a Japanese concept for a reason of being. Like, why why do we do what we do? Right? It kind of goes back to that passion thing, or you could call this flow. When, when you're in ikigai, you're in flow. Like, you're loving what you're doing. Things are working. You, you're getting paid well for it. It's just kind of like it's 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 flow. You can't always stay in ikigai. You kind of like 
flow through it and flow out of it, but you always want to find the center as much as you can. And this graphic, if you just Google Ikigai and then go to Google Images, you'll find this colorful kind of Venn diagram graphic thingy. I'll that put it in the show notes. Perfect, man. And so what, where, when, this, when, it, when I came across this, this is in that, in that phase of 2012 through probably 2014. So Carrot was starting to get off the ground in, in early 2014. Um, and I was starting to really dive even more and more into passion and purpose, right? Uh, because my last um, couple of business things really, I, I got paid well for them, but I wasn't loving what I was doing. So I was really feeling empty. And so the thing, the thing that I love about this, this concept and this graphic, and, and uh, he'll have it linked up in the show notes, is where I was and where most entrepreneurs are. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur listening to this, then a lot of you can relate to this. If you're not an entrepreneur, that's cool. You'll be able to find where you are on Guy in this as well, because this is not an entrepreneurial concept. This is just a life concept for everybody. Where most entrepreneurs are is we found a way to get paid for it. You know, we're probably pretty good at the thing. Otherwise, we couldn't really get paid for it too well. And in the world probably kind of needs what we've got. Otherwise people aren't willing to pay for it. And where those three intersect, where you start to, the way, the, what, how you feel is you have a, a comfortable feeling. You're comfortable because you're getting paid well for it. You're good at it. The world needs the thing, but you have a feeling of emptiness. And that's how I was in 2010, 11, 12 is, you know, I'd, I'd be making a hundred, 150,000 bucks a year as a mid 20 something year old guy. I was comfortable, but I really had this empty feeling. I knew there had to be something else. Um, and, and when you look at the concept of Ikigai, the thing that was missing is the big yellow bubble on that graphic is adding what I love in there. Like, what do you love? Once you can add in what you love and something and what, if you can do what you love, if you can do what you're good at, you can get paid well to do that. And the world needs what you have. That right there is Ikigai where most entrepreneurs fall flat is they chase, they chase the thing that can pay them well. They get good at that thing. They realize that the world needs it. They keep on chasing the money, chasing the money. They get miserable. They get depressed and they keep on chasing money, thinking more money or a bigger goal or go to the mastermind. And this guy's doing 30 deals a month and I, I should be doing more than that because I'm only doing 20 or whatever the, the, the dumb number is. They keep on chasing the more money instead of chasing the thing that they love. And the happiness only comes when you really do what you love to do. Um, if you're really good at something and you're doing and, and, and you're doing what you love, but you can't get paid well for it and the world doesn't really need it, that's a passion right? That's the people, the world does not need me to go out and golf, right? I want to, because I'm passionate about it. The world does not need me to go out and mountain bike and I don't get paid for it. Cause I'm not that good at it, but I love it. That's a passion of mine. If, if you're doing something that the world that you love and, and the world needs, but you're not all that good at it and, and you can't find a way to get paid for it. Uh, that's, that's a mission, right? So I've got friends at church who go on actual literal missions overseas uh, they're not getting paid for it. The world definitely needs it. They love it. And they're probably okay at it, right? But they're out there serving. That's a mission. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you look at the other one, if, you, if you're doing what the world needs uh, and you found a way to get paid for it, but you're not all that great at it and it's not what you love, then that's your vocation. That's where most people with, with daily jobs are if they're not happy, right? If they're not happy, if they're not doing what they love, this is probably where over 70% of the United States, the working, working America sits right now is in the vocation part of Ikigai. And during that one, during that phase right there, you know, they're, they're kind of like um, excitement, complacency, but a sense of uncertainty potentially. Um, but really, they might not even have the excitement in there because they might not have worked enough things that they loved in there. They're just showing up, clocking in, and just trying to survive. And if you're in that right now, if you're in a vocation, you need to look at Ikigai and go, okay, 
How do we get closer to my passion? How do we get closer to flow? It's by adding more things that you love in your work and finding something you're really, really, really good at and you're going to get pumped up. So um, where I am now, if I were to show when I slip out of Vicky guy, um, which it happens, like I would say it happens on a weekly basis. Okay. This isn't something where I'm living in it all the time. It's like, whoa, today I definitely was not an icky guy. Like it was not my flow. I, I wasn't, li I wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. Um, but when I slip out, it's usually, it's usually when I slip out of adding things that I love to do. Okay. It's when I slip back in the thing where I'm doing the things that I'm good at, you know, our market needs it and I can get paid well for it. But that activity that I did that day, I don't really love. It doesn't fire me up. It doesn't give me energy when I'm done doing it. Mm -hmm. So then when I have those days, I look at my schedule the next day and the next week and I go, okay, how do I add back in more of these things I love to do so I can get back in the icky guy immediately. Um, so you got to be intentional with your calendar. And someone running a business like you, you're going to run into things where it is going to throw you off. I mean, it's, it's not yeah. like I, I, I'm not there. I'm not, um, but I imagine it's not like something that don't have this. I'm not going to have expectations that I'm going to get to a point where shit don't happen. Yep. Yep. You got to deal with stuff. And, yep. But 100%. the thing is that you, you're intentional and you've gotten to, to that point. You've been thinking about this and you're building, you're creating that, uh, you know, uh, with that in mind. Mm. I was there. I was changing money my earlier life. I showed, I chased the money. Mm -hmm. I thought, what can make me mo uh, money fast? Uh, yep. Maybe not fast because I, I decided I'll go to college. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what would make me the most money? You know, yep. yes, I like this, but what will make me the most money? I was thinking like that. And for many yep. years, most of my life, I, it was, yes, I didn't, mm. I was afraid now to later to think, oh my God, dog, I don't really, I'm not really passionate about this. Did I choose the wrong thing? I didn't want to have that conversation. Yep. I was afraid of saying, yep, I mm. did. Mm -hmm. So if you did land on this and you think, oh God, what have I done with my career? Just calm down, relax. Yeah. Nice, you know. Yep. Everybody's journey is different. Sometimes we got to do something that we don't like. But yep. start thinking. I start, now I am thinking, what is it that I'm mm -hmm. really passionate about? Yep. And I'm experimenting and I'm failing as mm -hmm. done. And, and, and like, like I was saying too, man, like one thing I don't want people to get in this trap of is thinking that the, the career that they're in right now or the business that they started isn't it, right? Like with, with me, um, I know, dude, I know a lot of people who are software company owners who are miserable. Who, are, are, who did not find a way to build fun and what they love into their business. So mm -hmm. it's not necessarily that it has to be the passion, your business is the passion. You have to pull back and go, is there a way in my current work? I'm really good at my current work and I'm, I found a way to get paid for it and the world really needs it. Is there a way in my current work to add more of the things I love and to really light me up? And that, that right there I want people to focus in on because a lot of people, whenever they, they go through this discussion, they immediately jump to the fact of, oh, I must need to change my jobs or I need to get rid of this business that I've started or, or you're, you're eight months into trying to be a real estate investor. You're finding it's grinding and you're finding you're not doing a whole lot of things you love because things haven't popped yet. And then you're like, ah, I'm going to shift gears and do this internet marketing thing or I'm going to start a snow cone shop or like whatever it is. And, um, and I just want people to know that any business, it doesn't matter. Like I literally know um, a guy who's in the trash business. Okay. His, Nick, his name is Nick Friedman. Um, he owns a company called college hunks hauling junk. They haul trash, dude. Like that's what they do. But he's yeah. made that, he's made that business such, uh, just amplification of his personality, of his core values, um, of making a massive impact. 
he hauls trash for a living and he absolutely loves that company because he was intentional making it a company that he would love to work at. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm familiar with, I'm, I'm going to put it in the show notes. You want to see? What it's about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would love to tell my wife, baby, well, you know, just a joke. I'm going to hold trash. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, that's funny. look, Trevor, man, I, I'm really, really excited that I got a chance to talk to you, man. This is, it's been good. Really no, likewise, buddy. I appreciate the invite. And if there's anything I can do to help, uh, just let me know. But I'm uh, very grateful for, for coming on and chatting with you. Thank you so much. The same. I, I extend the same to you. And I will see you one day at Caracan. There we go, man. Let's make it happen. <laughs> you should see. I'm in my uh, in my office, which is also my closet. Hey, you're good, man. No worries. <laughs> okay, so my, great. My, my first, my first, first, like um, product that I had ever made back in 2008, and um, I had sold it, and I was delivering content. This is 2007 or eight. I was delivering content to those who bought the product. I was actually piggybacking on this because my wife and I moved from Portland down to Roseburg where we live now in 2008. And one of the coaching calls, I was actually in my truck piggybacking off of the Wi-Fi at a coffee shop in the parking lot to deliver the call um, because we were living in a trailer at the time before our house closed. So man, no worries at all, dude. <laughs> the big thing is you're just, you're doing. Can you say what your company is? Cause a lot of people, listening at this spot yeah for sure so yeah our company's called carrot uh like the vegetable you can find us at carrot.com uh, we actually bought that domain finally a couple months ago so we own carrot.com now um but carrot.com and what we do is we help mainly real estate investors but also now real estate agents uh high performing real estate investors and agents generate more leads online uh through content marketing and our high converting website framework and um a little over 3 million leads have came in through our system just through the internet uh, the last three and a half years. Uh, most of them motivated house sellers and our clients bring in you know, about 80,000 leads a month and close tons and tons and tons of deals uh, from, from the leads they get through our system. So that, that's, that's the what we do. We, we help real estate investors close more deals and high margin deals through the internet. Um, why we do it is Carrot's really my platform. It, it's, it's the platform by which we can reach thousands of people to help real estate investors, agents, whatever industries we go, we go into, build more freedom, build more flexibility, grow your finances, and really make the impact you want to make. Because that's why I've, I've found most entrepreneurs, that's why we start, start entrepreneurship is to get more freedom, flexibility, grow our finances, make an impact. And that's our whole mission here at Carrot. <laughs> Dude, it looks, like you're in, it looks like you're in Paris. Like, it seriously looks like you're on the sidewalk in Paris. You had a clothing shop. You got your clothes there on the side. It looks good, man. Oh, yes. I mean, Paris. Good. I thought, you know what? I, I could also do this, you know. Put up a thing on the camera. No, don't, don't, don't even worry about that. Seriously. <laughs> 100%, man. You can do it. Let's go. Let's go. Please take a minute to leave me a rating or review on iTunes or Stitcher. I am starting out this podcast, and this helps me a lot to get discovered. If you like my podcast, please subscribe and share it with other people.